cool. Hey, good morning, and what's up? Welcome to Conjecture and Lecture, episode 12. Uh, we got Riley and I here today on a little Sunday morning, a little gloomy here in Omaha, but that's all right. We're going to have a nice little conversation uh, revisiting our um, our thoughts on nostalgia. Yeah. So, yeah, so, uh, today's main kind of focus, you guys, is going to be um, talking about Jim Henson and the basically all the awesome things that he did uh, for film, creativity, puppeteering, um, a lot of things. There's, there's going to be a lot of things we're going to kind of dig into here. But the reason uh, that this kind of spurred up, I know it might seem kind of really close to our last episode on nostalgia, but it's because we had um, an exhibit here in town at the Durham Western Heritage Museum. Uh, there was like a traveling Jim Henson exhibit, and they had uh, a bunch of cool puppets um, in addition to, uh, I guess what we'd call those little artifacts, I guess. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, pieces from the sets, a um, lot of cool videos on how they produced it, some Jim Henson history. The scripts. Um, Stuff like yeah, there's some cool script stuff on there, but at the end of the day, uh, it was just kind of a, an all-encompassing, I guess, tribute to uh, Jim Henson, and like I said, all the awesome things that he did. Um, so before we dive too deep into the Henson stuff, I just kind of want to revisit that uh, that concept of, of nostalgia. Um, last time we talked about it, you guys, I think it was episode eight, uh, we were gr- getting into the Pokemon. Uh, we talked about, you know, Pokemon video games and toys and all that. And, and just to remind you guys, our nostalgia series is, is focusing on all those things, toys, video games, um, TV shows and movies, uh, heck, a- anything that sort of stimulates that feeling. Uh, but Riley, how, how would you explain that again, uh, nostalgia? How would you describe it to somebody who'd maybe... Didn't know what it was. I mean, it's always, I, I always describe nostalgia more as a feeling rather than like, I don't know, a specific like noun. I don't know. It's something that is, it's subjective and it's like just a, it's almost like the perfect deja vu, but it's like completely enjoyable and it's like, oh, it's a great reminder of the past. Okay. Yeah. I could see that little reminder of the past coupled with, with feelings. Um, when I, when I, we were thinking about last episode, we were talking about, you know, anger and some of the other feelings. It, it reminds me of some of those other feelings where you know what it is when you feel it, but it's hard to describe the way it feels. Mm-hmm. Um, and nostalgia is one of those things I just, I always have that. I'm like, okay, I feel it, but I don't really know how to describe it to somebody who's not me or who's not living like my subjective experience. Right. But it's always, it always feels like positive. I don't know. Whenever I experience something that's really nostalgic, it, it always feels very like euphoric. Mm-hmm. I'm always like, wow, you know, this makes me feel like I was a kid again. Yeah. It's, it's like perfect. Kind of brings you back home. It reminds yeah. me of that. There's no place like home kind of feeling like, definitely. you know, you're uh, just revisiting those roots. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for, for lack of a better way of saying it. And that, that generally always feels good. And when you say it like that, and I believe this might have come up in episode eight, but I can't think of a certain time I felt nostalgia or it was negative. Yeah, I think that's agreed. almost the opposite of the idea. It's supposed to be these warm, embracing fuzzies, uh, a lot of it reminding you of your childhood. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, like I said, we went to this uh, this exhibit, and I thought it was fascinating. I mean, I didn't realize how, um, I guess we could say, cut short Jim Henson's career was. I mean, he died at 53. Yeah. Uh, so in my mind, I was like, damn, what if you gave that guy an extra 20 years? Like how many cool things, you know, would have come out from him and his crew and his whole, uh, I mean, what, what's it, is it called Jim Henson Incorporated? What's his company called? It's the Jim Henson Company. The yeah. Jim Henson. Okay. I remember I've, I've seen it uh, on the, you know, opening credits of yeah. things, but I wasn't hundred percent sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but damn, yeah, so uh, I remember we read up, uh, he died from pneumonia, um, and that's one of those things where you look at, like, 1936 to 1990. Uh, in my mind, when I hear those words, I'm like, oh, that's a pretty fulfilling life, but then when I saw the number 53, I was like, nope, never mind, I guess I can't do math. Yeah, right, <laughs> and it, 
like you said, it could have gone so much further than it did. Um, I will say this. It is good that, like, CGI hadn't gotten to the point where it was, like, taking over when Jim Henson was still alive. Because if I remember correctly, the only moment of CGI in a Jim Henson movie, like, complete CGI, is the opening of Labyrinth. There's, like, an owl flying around. Okay. That's Jareth's owl. And it's one of the earliest uses of CGI. Complete CGI. Um, So... You know, you hate to say, like, well, it's good that Jim Henson lived when he did and, like, not further past that. But, I mean, I like the practical effects. Mm-hmm. I think if it, if there was CGI involved, it would have changed things a little bit. For so. sure. Uh, I think that was one of my favorite things about the exhibit is realizing how many things were puppeted. Yeah. Uh, all of the sets were handmade. There, w- there wasn't a whole lot of special effects involved, and that kind of made it more authentic, a little bit more special. Now, again, by the time, you know, you get to Labyrinth, which if I remember, I think it was 1986. I think so. uh, And then maybe Dark Crystal was 84 or something right before then. Um, But anyways, you look at something like the Labyrinth and like, yeah, there there are a lot of things are puppeted. And and to a certain extent, some of those puppets are mechanical. Like they were showing, uh, what's the character's name? The short guy with the, uh, he's kind of like a... a dwarf from uh labyrinth Labyrinth, hoggle hoggle okay so they were showing hoggles uh basically his mask or his face and Mm -hmm. it was like four puppeteers controlled all of the expressions at the same time and yeah i can't imagine working with you know three other people trying to elicit some sort of facial expression out of this mask while somebody is piloting the body yeah yeah (laughs) yeah especially because it's like really old school robotics too yeah and a little person in there and then the face being connected to by wires too Mm -hmm. that's the other thing we'll get into hoggle too that's interesting in and of itself so um i guess we'll kind of uh just kind of keep on rolling with it um what was your favorite part of the exhibit man what what did you what did you like that you saw what did you wish you saw more of uh for me personally i loved I love the Dark Crystal. So, like, Jim Henson's fantasy work is by far my favorite. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I grew up on Sesame Street. I watched the Muppets when I was a kid. Always really wasn't, like, enjoying it. But the Dark Crystal and Labyrinth and uh, I didn't get to watch a whole lot of the Jim Henson Hour. But a lot of the fantasy things, they would, like, freak me out to the point where it was, like, enthralling. It's like, oh, my God, I want more of that. So I wish we could have seen more of, like, the fantasy definitely elements. when i was younger uh the dark crystal used to like really spook my brother and i like there were certain parts like whether it's that gal that's like in the tree with the crazy laboratory agra, uh, agra yeah her i'm really bad with the names that's um so good. i mean i know the the skexies and the mystics um uh, you know jen and um oh, what's the other gal kira name? kira yeah kira mm-hmm. kira yeah i remember that was one of the first times i'd heard the name kira and yeah. i was like that's a cool name yeah um but there was just a handful of imagery from that movie that still actually kind of spooks me but i feel like that that like sense of fear it's just stems from my childhood of being scared when i was little like, absolutely what the heck? yeah like those yeah. big beetles or even the things that they ride on like oh giant, yeah like animals and everything looks so real mm-hmm. like th- the scene that i always think about that freaked me out when i was a kid in the dark crystal was when the the skexis emperor is dying Oh my God. And he like melts. Yes. And he's like, yeah, he's like smoking and smoldering. And, uh, uh, what's the, what's the one who hums? I can't think of that one's name. Let me, uh, uh, you're talking about like the mystics guys. Yeah. Chamberlain. Okay. I didn't know he had a name. Yeah. And he's like, he's like hunched over the dying emperor and he's like, "Mm." Oh, that yeah. that guy. I thought you meant, um, the old mystic guy that died. Like, oh, no, no. His head on that, like. Like little podium, the thing master and like passes yeah. away. Yeah. yeah, master. Yes, 
<laughs> but when the when the uh, Emperor Skeksis dies, and Chamberlain is like looming over him, and he's like waiting to take the throne, that always used to just freak me out when yeah. I was a kid. And I don't know if that's because it was like you see something that's like so power hungry, or it just looks so foreign, but it looks so real. And the Skeksis just look creepy the way they move, and yeah. then that guy's like, mm-hmm. yeah, oh my like, gosh, that was one thing. The that- way they eat. Yes. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it took a while uh, for me to find some of that stuff, like, funny. Like, it used to f- freak me out, and then it got to a point, at some point, maybe when I was watching it in high school, you know, l- up late partying with friends or whatever, like, oh, let's watch The Dark Crystal. Yeah. And then we'd watch it, and then we ended up giggling at some of the oh, things yeah. that used to freak me out. Um, I will say, as far as, like, uh, the, the puppeteering and all that goes... Seeing the actual puppets at the museum exhibit, I didn't realize how detailed they were. Oh I mean, my gosh, they almost, yeah. I guess, height-wise, are about three feet yeah. or so. Um, bigger than I had thought originally. Um, but it kind of makes sense when you look at like the larger-than-life type things they were trying to do on film with those puppets. And not even you know going back to things like Team America... Um, that's another one where I thought the puppets were a lot smaller. I thought they were like the size of Barbies. And mm-hmm. then I read that they were like two and a half feet tall or something like that. They're actually pretty big. Yeah. But just the level of detail was fascinating. super cool. Even the costumes for the puppets, right? Yeah. Like all those little things. In the very end of the exhibit, uh, they had that, that little piece where Jim Henson was just kind of like a, you know, retrospect type thing or maybe excerpt from different documentaries. And they mentioned, you know, it's the eyes that sell it, right? Yeah, they made them with glass eyeballs and... Um, you know, the fact that they blink or that they can make expressions with their eyes, like mm-hmm. that's what brings them to life. And as soon as you said it, I was like, yeah, it really is. Like, yeah. You know, there's just something about eyeballs that do that. Well, it, it makes them so like personified. I don't know. It just gives them so much more of a personality. And I think we as human beings, when we see something that can make a facial expression or that can alter its its entire like mannerism yeah. by by changing the way that it looks i think that makes it look more real to us and it's just all the more fascinating so other little things um too when i when i saw those puppets um i remember the scene when jen's sitting by the little river playing his flute he plays it a couple times mm-hmm. but like his individual fingers move yeah and just thinking about like the puppeteering of that like i don't know how they accomplish that. Like, I don't know if it is, uh, you know, from above, like, you know, like a, like a classic marionette or, or if they're little like switches mm-hmm. inside the, if it's like partly robotic, I don't mm-hmm. know, but they sold it all in all. Yeah. Just very, very fascinating. So, um, uh, how, I mean, I guess, where do you want to go next? I was going to say, we could start with the beginning of his career. I had wrote down like just a couple of, like of chunks. So I have like dark crystal labyrinth, Sesame street and Muppets kind of divided into four yeah. uh, sections here. I think there are, like you said, there's a ton of different, uh, routes we could take. I really want to talk about the fantasy movies. I love the fantasy movies, okay. but just as a jumping off point, I'll ask you, what is your favorite Henson movie? Oh man, that's a really good question. So I Dark Crystal's up there, but that's up there in terms of like the dark realistic fantasy type things. Mm-hmm. But uh, Muppets Treasure Island, oh, I freaking yes. loved that movie I loved when that I was movie. little. Like there was a video game, there were little action figures, like that's one that my brother and I watched a lot. Yeah. And there was like an accompanying, accompanying like PC game that came out with it. And I just remember we would like argue about who got to play it next and it's one of those <laughs> games where like i would just watch him play or he would just watch me play yeah i don't even remember how old but muppets treasure island and then um there's one where there's like the muppets uh with real people 
and it's like Muppets in New York City, or maybe it's like the real Muppets movie. I don't remember what it's called, but it, it's a little bit more of a recent one. It's not the older ones, but was it's like with real people and the Muppets mixed into the same like set. Okay, yeah, there was the Muppets, which I believe was 2008, and that one was Ricky Gervais, and then there was the Muppets Most Wanted, and that one came out with... Um, Oh, what is his name? Jason Siegel. And Jason Siegel okay. was in it. Jack Black was in it. Um, it was it was honestly a great movie. And then they made a TV show for a short period of time that just wasn't as good. I don't remember a TV show like in our time. It was like a season. It ran for like a season. They tried to make like it a more of a adult sitcom with the Muppets in it. Interesting. It just, it just wasn't that good. Yeah, I could see that. So I think the one that I'm thinking of, I think it might be the Muppets movie. Um, well, actually, I, no, no, it's the Muppets Take Manhattan from 1984. Oh, okay. I was okay. like, I remember New York City being involved in it in some way, and it was like older than, um, than I had maybe originally thought. And then also the Muppets Christmas movie. So that was 1992, uh, and the Muppets Treasure Island was 1996. But I mean, oh, and Muppets from Space. That is my favorite one. That's, That's a my good favorite one Muppets too. movie. Yeah. Uh, all, all like the Gonzo uh, scenes and that particular movie definitely yeah. i have like m vivid memories of that one. Oh my gosh and the beaker stuff oh beaker those are my two favorites mm -hmm. gonzo and beaker and i just love the fact that like the the imagination and like the quote-unquote magic that goes on behind like just the story writing of the muppets movies like gonzo is eating a bowl of cereal and then he's like where does my family come from mm -hmm. and then like the whole movie takes off from that moment and it's like it's so childlike but still watching it now i'd be like damn it's a good movie that's like imaginative yeah, yeah. it's and so original so originality that's one of the things i wanted to touch on because everything that came out of jim henson and his crew's brain was so original yes and emily had brought up a really good point of like maybe that's because there wasn't a whole lot of um things to compare it with yeah it's almost like you know everybody has a phone with a camera now so everybody can take pictures um and obviously you could be creative with it and do something original with an iPhone camera. But there's a certain point where like, you know, he was doing puppets on TV when nobody was doing puppets on TV. That is so and true. So it made it, I don't want to say seem more original than it was, but it like helped it stand out. Yeah. And then from there, he just continued the puppet thing and yeah. it blew up. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, and it, it maintains that sense of originality, which I mean, all of the characters, all like the story writing, um, just everything about it just seems so different than anything that's ever been done or has been done. Yeah. Um, right before we started airing this, my dad had called and was just saying like, uh, you know, he was trying to watch some Jim Henson stuff last night cause he went to the exhibit with us and was just trying to get back into some of the stuff. He's like, when I went on to HBO, cause they kind of house a lot of the Jim Henson stuff now. Mm -hmm. He's like, there's just so much CG in modern Sesame street that it, it almost robs it of an authenticity that, was put into it back then. Absolutely. I, I would a hundred percent agree. Um, and, and there's so much like world building that goes into it too, mm -hmm. where like, again, the practical effects, the originality of it, it's like, they're literally creating like a new environment, um, that I really, really appreciate. And again, like you said, and like your dad said, this, the CG was never there. It was, it was a real mm -hmm. place. All so. the sets yeah. were hand built. All the puppets were hand stitched, handmade, all the clothes. I mean, everything with them was, uh, just authentic to the core. Right. Um, and one of the other things I found really funny about that exhibit in general was how that sense of nostalgia, I think might've maybe been deeper 
for my dad than maybe for us. I don't want to speak, you know, for you or from for Emily or, or, but you know, when I look back at it, I was like, man, you know, he, he was saying that, uh, he was born in 1970 Mm -hmm. and, that was like the height of Sesame Street and Muppets all the way through like the 80s. So mm-hmm. until he was like 15 or 16, I mean, all of that, I guess Dark Crystal came out when he was 14. So, yeah. you know, I can't imagine um, the stuff he was feeling because for me, it was like, oh, it reminds me of when I was a kid. But like it was he was definitely a kid. Well, <laughs> yeah, he was living it. Yeah, you know? exactly. We were like right in the middle where like, you know, if you were born now, you probably wouldn't have any appreciation for it. Uh, and if you were born much before that, you would get it because maybe your kids were into it. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you're living through the time when it's meant for you, like you're the target audience, um, I guess for me, that'd be like Barney uh, yeah. or Mr. Rogers, which yeah. I guess is still older than me. But like I have vivid memories of watching Mr. Rogers all the time. The puppets on that. Yeah. I always think about them. <laughs> They're funny little guys, especially yeah. like at this... The simplicity yeah. of of the puppets in general, even looking at the ones in the in the exhibit yesterday, like mm-hmm. they're not that complicated, but they really found a way to bring them to life and make them believable. Oh my gosh, yes! Like when we were looking at that original Kermit, and I was like up close to it. I don't know. I was I was excited because I was thinking like, wow, this is like the real Kermit. But yeah. at the same time, I was also thinking like, man, he looks so plain it's so simple <laughs> yeah but like in my head i imagined his was like squished faces and like looking at the camera yeah and just making all the sounds <laughs> yeah and, yeah uh i think one of my favorite things in general was seeing the production of it and like how a lot of times they like the way that those cameras kind of worked is the the puppeteers would be sitting at a lower level than where the camera was pointing and mm-hmm. then they'd have you know their arms up and filming it but like they were saying that they do so many things and just like basically like I don't want to say cold opens but I guess one step further rehearsed than that where you know they would just do multiple takes and if it worked it worked if it didn't they'd just do it again but the whole time they were just having so much fun yeah like playing with puppets is your job yeah and all the people just seemed to love it yeah and that's what we had been talking about too we were watching that scene I believe it was from the Muppets where they all had like these fuzzy puppets Uh and they were just running around with these sticks and like bouncing them up and down and we we had said to each other like damn that just looks fun i know it looks like a wonderful job <laughs> and every single person on the set had a smile on Didn't oh matter if they're holding the puppet or if they were holding the camera yeah. or if they were like you know looking at the script like everybody was smiling in these behind the scenes takes and that's something that i just think is super special you know yeah i don't know how many people smile throughout their whole day as they're working their job yeah and i think they knew it oh absolutely like they knew like we have something special here this is to be cherished oh my gosh and yes like they just they, the jim henson organization was just like a big tight family it y- seemed like agreed know? yeah and think about like you're holding this puppet on a stick and you're like i have put hours and hours and hours into making this thing and now i finally get to enjoy mm-hmm. it and like you just get to you know celebrate with everybody it's almost like you're like taking a live recording of celebrating all of your work that i just think it's yeah. a, it's a beautiful thing one really. of the funniest things to me too especially seeing bert and ernie uh like uh, there's other big grover you know there's other characters that have a lot of personality but like they obviously weren't connected to any people. They obviously weren't talking, but like I heard Bert and Ernie's voices. Like, oh my gosh, you know, when yeah. I was looking at them, I was like, dude, they're obviously behind a glass case. Yeah. Not moving, but they did such a good job bringing them to life that that left a permanent imprint well, on my mind. Again, it's like when we walk past the count and we go, ah, ah, yeah. ah. <laughs> it's like you can just hear it in your brain. As soon as you walk by, you're like, 
Yep, he's he's about to start going one, yeah. <laughs> two, count, one, count. dude. Yeah, there was just a lot. I don't know. There was a lot of cool things. I will say the one things there. There's three things I wish they would have had there. Oscar the Grouch, yes, uh, or some version of Oscar, uh, Cookie Monster, because he's one of my favorites. I feel like I am a Cookie Monster at times <laughs> spiritually, uh, and then Big Bird. I would, like some sort of Big Bird. I just wanted to see how big Big Bird was. Like, yeah, it's got to be. Big, yeah, relative to the other ones, because I just remember him sort of towering over Elmo and the others. Elmo, they didn't have. Yeah, I was kind of surprised they didn't have Elmo. They didn't. They also there wasn't a lot of um, artifacts or like primary source material, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, that was um, reflective of Elmo. Like there was, there was almost nothing on Elmo. Yet I saw mock sketches for Big Bird. I saw mock sketches for Grover. Um, But yeah, Elmo wasn't. Mentioned kind of MIA, yeah. I don't know after Tickle Me Elmo came around, yeah. They're, they're like, like uh, yeah, we got to separate ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's too uh, mainstream. Um, one of the things though that I will say that I loved about the exhibit was the the homages to Jim Henson's like short films and independent work before all of the puppetry, yeah. So, like, I didn't realize how much his career how much he was working on his career before it took off. And it reminds me a lot of George Carlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's actually a really similar time period. Yeah. Where, like, you know, it starts off, they're doing these, like, really small local TV sort of shorts, like, you know, for the D.C. or New York City area, sort of basically, you know, metropolitan East Coast. And they had these local news or TV channels where it seemed like they were having these, like I said, five to ten minute little skits with puppets. Yeah. And it, it wasn't even called... Sesame Street or Muppets there was like Sam and Friends and there were a couple others that were just real basic uh and then it just really got some traction yeah um, what were some of the other short films you were thinking um well the, the ones without any puppets even uh the two that come to mind were Cyclia and Timepiece um they were just fascinating and like I'm really into art films, so mm-hmm. like from an from a lover of art films perspective, like looking at those, it's like wow, these are so influential, and we probably didn't even realize it. Uh, for example, Cyclia uh, was amazing because it's this very like kaleidoscopic, almost psychedelic uh, visuals that are like reflected onto a screen or whatnot, mm-hmm. and you just think like, oh yeah, maybe they like put some food coloring in water and like just watched it kind of react but what he actually did was instead of filming it on a standard screen he projected it onto this like geometric 3d i don't know what you want was that the one where they were taking and moving the shapes around yes okay i do i didn't know that was that what the name of that one was but that was interesting because it looked it reminded me almost uh as how they produced like that first season of south park yeah where they had a bunch of shapes that they cut out sort of glued together or just put together uh, yeah and it was more stop was was that all stop motion yeah that was stop motion yeah so it that was a that was a cool little piece, and then the the time piece yeah. uh, was one of those where I had no idea that he was involved in some of that 
niche or more just like underground, like I said, art art films yep. where it's not necessarily supposed to be a commercial hit. Right. It's basically, you know, it's like the art for art's sake yes. mentality. Like I'm going to make a film this way because I can and because I want to. Right. Um, and time pieces. I, I got that one bookmarked to watch later. A little nine minute film. You guys can find it. I think you said you found it on Facebook or something. Yeah. I'll link it in the show notes. Okay, cool. Yeah. Nice. It's, it's yeah. fantastic. Like, um, one of the things that we had just been talking about and something that we've mentioned in the past uh, is found sound. Yeah. And timepiece is all found sound. So when you go to watch found, or timepiece, if you do, um, just listen for the found sound. It's fantastic. Cool. Yeah, um, I'm excited to check it out. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it too much, but like there are different sounds in there and you're like, damn, like I could go into my kitchen and make that sound and like recognize it huh. and you hear it in the film. Um, it's incredible. But some of the scenes that I really, really like from that, um, there is like a, uh, representation of Icarus. And then we kind of see that repeated throughout Henson's work with Mm. like the storyteller and things like that. Um, there were a couple others that I was really, really fascinated with, but it's just timepiece is phenomenal. Yeah. He was definitely into old, stories yeah you know whether it's uh, any kind of mythos from different parts of the world um stories that had been told but maybe you wanted to try to tell them in different ways themes from old stories like he definitely knew writers mm-hmm. uh you know from all the way you know from the greeks to today uh and in addition to that you know you, you couple that with the, the 1960s and 70s and sort of the countercultural movements uh you know film getting a little bit bigger it just really cracked me up seeing all these guys with like you know, beards and uh, and their puppets and stuff like that. I was like, man, these guys were all like total hippies, but they're intellectual. Yeah, right. They're and they're doing it in a very cool, artsy, not like your stereotypical hippie. Like, oh, peace and no yeah. love, man. Like, they're like, now we're gonna make some films and make it uh, dark, make and it dark, yeah, or really lighthearted and family friendly. Yes, like, exactly. There's always some sort of message or theme. And I don't know, just looking at how creative the team was. Yeah, agreed. Cracks me up. With like Frank Oz and everything too. Like, so I don't know much about, my dad mentioned him. He's like, Frank Oz and um, Jim Henson had basically been together since the beginning. Yeah. And I don't, what's Frank Oz's role or story in, in any of the Jim Henson stuff? Because he's one of the guys who's, I didn't really know him well. So Frank Oz was one of the guys who's like big time, uh, not only a, he was a wonderful puppeteer because he was the guy who puppeted Yoda. Oh, so he's the same guy that does Grover and stuff too. Yeah, but he's like the he's he's basically Jim Henson's right hand man. I would I would say that they existed like on the same level. Okay, though. cool. Yeah. Um, but Frank Oz had been a part of the Dark Crystal. He had been a part of um, Labyrinth as well, and then he even worked on things like Farscape and other shows that were still kind of related to Jim Henson, but not directly. Um, okay. But Frank Oz, one of the most incredible things about him is that he was coming off of Star Wars, four years after Star Wars initially got released, and he was, you know, puppeting Yoda and everything like that. He then goes on to make The Dark Crystal with Jim Henson, and yeah. it's like, well, you know, we don't know how this movie's going to go or anything like that, but he's still just kind of riding that success, and yeah, The Dark Crystal wasn't a smash hit initially, but like now Frank Oz is seen as one of the greatest puppeteers of all time alongside Jim Henson. Yeah, both The Labyrinth and Dark Crystal have become like cult classics. Definitely. Like yeah, there's and and I like The Dark Crystal a lot more than The Labyrinth, but I, I also too. don't have like a David Bowie like 
fix. Like some people just love David Bowie. Everything he did. Up. Yeah. <laughs> like they're just really, that's why they like the labyrinth. It doesn't have as much to do with like other pieces of it. And I also think it like dark crystal cause there's no humans in it. Yes, that is There's one no of the things. real people. The whole freaking thing is puppeted. Yes, that is one of the things that draws me to the Dark Crystal. I would agree with you. The Dark Crystal, in my opinion, is is better. Um, I do think that there were more creative elements in the labyrinth here and there. So, like, there are more creatures. Mm-hmm. There are uh, more, I don't know, like... I don't know. It does seem more human because, like, the main character, Sarah, is a human. Jareth... Even though he's the Goblin King, he's still a human. Uh, the baby, Toby, is a human. But at the same time, the Dark Crystal uh, is so dark. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Labyrinth, they have like a dance number. They mm-hmm. have like little fart jokes here and there. But like, it's not as good as the Dark Crystal to me. They almost realized that like Dark Crystal was their foray into like full-blown films. And yeah. they're like, okay, we can do this more. And obviously they were making like Muppet movies and Sesame Street, you know, things like that. But um, even even how it became larger than life and outside of the films and outside of TV, they started to have, you know, like Sesame street on the ice or mm-hmm. whatever, where they'd have like these large, um, I forget. I, th- I remember seeing it when I was younger, but they basically, you know, have all of these characters come out on ice skates and do, it was almost kind of like a musical. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I remember they had, um, like reruns all the time of the older ones, when I was growing up, like I remember learning like alphabet and stuff like that from, from those, um, even stuffed animals and stuff like that. Like I mentioned tickle me Elmo earlier, but just like all the different, um, they weren't really puppets. They were just, I guess like plushes. Yeah. Um, but there are just so many, so many things like that. I mean, we got like a Bert and Ernie, uh, coffee mug. Yeah. So the, just the marketing of it was, uh, almost like the way they, in my mind, the way they marketed things like star Wars where, yeah, they have like film, but the universe of it is so much bigger than just the film. Yeah, yeah, and it's so iconic. Mm-hmm. But, like, speaking of universes, that's where I kind of want to jump mm-hmm. off. Let's just talk the Dark Crystal okay. specifically. Now. All right. Um, because I am fascinated with the fact that, like you said, it is all puppets. It's all a built world. Um, I have heard people say that, like, it is the most magical film ever created. Interesting. That's bold. Because it is, it's literally like this world of Thra exists completely independent of like what we know to be true what's thra thra is the planet quote unquote the planet that they live on so do they like, ever say that in the movie yeah or, yeah they do yeah they call they mention the planet's name mm-hmm. oh. and they say like oh in the world of thra you know um huh. but so thra for those who are unfamiliar yeah is like, there's just so many little details i guess you could go really deep oh it goes deep okay all right keep going I'm sorry. <laughs> and like the gelflings inhabit thra they were the original creatures that mm-hmm. existed on Thra. So what Jen and Kira are. Um, and then on the planet of Thra, you have this concept of the great conjunction. So the planet has three suns and when they come together, that's when the world turns into darkness and the Skeksis get more power. But you're like, oh, well, you know, we've got the mystics and the Skeksis and like those are, you know, the, the embodiment of perfect good and perfect evil. But it's Oh, like, but there's 10 of each one, right? Yeah. And it's like, well, how did they come about? They explain that. Like, that's how deep the Dark, the crystal, dark crystal goes. 
in the Dark Crystal, the Dark Crystal books, and then the Dark oh. Crystal Age of Resistance. Okay, they I've explain. only seen the original thing, but I was going to say, there's a lot of explanation I missed out on. Or yeah, <laughs> oh, it goes way back. But a lot of it occurs when Agra, when they're in Agra's uh, laboratory, mm-hmm. and you see, like, the orrery and everything, and yeah. she's saying, like, oh, the three sons, and uh, I believe Jen's master mentions it on his deathbed, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's fascinating because... Jim Henson had written a history for Thra that didn't make it into the movie. Mm, it reminds me of like the Silmarillion for Lord of the Rings. Yes, exactly, exactly. It's, like it's an fascinating. Outline, an outline of the world to be built. Yes, exactly. And like one of the things that's amazing, so the whole story of Thra is that it all begins with the Urskeks. So the Urskeks were these wraith-like, almost ghostly creatures that, first came to Thra and kind of interacted with the Gelflings. So the Urskex were like, okay, we know that there's like a crystal here. We know that it's very powerful and everything, but we're going to use it for good. But the Urskex were kind of bothered at the the fact that they were also dark on the inside and they were like, well, we want to purge the darkness. So in order to purge the darkness, they're like, oh, we got to use this crystal and everything. But something had gone wrong when they were trying to use the crystal. So that's when the crystal cracks and the Urskex become separated into perfect good, the mystics, mm-hmm. and perfect evil, the Skeksis. Mm. So they're kind of like the origin of everything. Interesting. But like, and then we just see how the great conjunction comes to be because that's what Jen has to mm-hmm. initiate. Deal with, yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, get rid of all the Skeksis. It's, it's crazy. The, the depth of it is insane. I can't imagine. I mean, I, I like to think I have a good imagination, but I can't imagine coming up with a story that good or that deep. Yeah. Like, how do you write all that? Yeah. I don't know. It's <laughs> just in their head somewhere. You know, I, I don't know. I was like in my mind, just looking at all the, um, the way that they were dressed and how they were kind of grooving and just their happiness. I was like, man, you know, I don't want to say that they took a decent amount of drugs, but mm-hmm. they, I think they might've, I don't know. And, and they also might've been completely stone cold sober. That's just, just conjecture. Yeah. But I'm like, man, how do you come up with these insane stories and worlds without a little assistance? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. You and know? like, you know, it's it's just amazing to see the level of creativity that was involved. It's yeah. just, I can't believe it. It's raw. Yeah, exactly. Really raw. Exactly. Um, other things from, from Dark Crystal that I, I had written down um, was at the time when it had come out, I imagine that's because there wasn't very many, and again, this is before my time by like eight years, I imagine that for the people that watched it, and I should have asked my dad, but how how they felt when they saw it in the movies where they like, what the heck was that? You know, like I imagine maybe it was something like the first time people saw star Wars or the first time they saw maybe space odyssey or some other random films. Just like, what? Yeah. You know, like this doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know. And, and the way that everything was built, the way that everything looks so real, but at the same time looks similar to things that we're familiar with. Like the Skeksis look like birds the mystics kind of have like this horse-like face and you're like, what the hell? How yeah. did somebody like come up with this thing? Uh, it's so strange. Well, dude, the creativity of puppets. So that's yeah. one thing that I thought was interesting too. Like they had that little area where you could design your own puppet. Yeah. Man, I could have a lot of fun with this. Oh, I could have you know, sat there the all wig day. Yeah. And making a bunch of different versions of Muppets or Sesame Street figures or anything like that. But um, 
the the foresight that comes in with like creating the clothes, you know, the skin color of the puppet, um, mm-hmm. how long or wide or narrow their head's going to be. Like there's so many different things and like there's elements of like humanness, but then there's a couple elements that are like, I don't want to say warped, mm-hmm. but um, they look kind of cartoony. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. And it, animalistic even. Um, Brian Froud, the guy who was actually the lead creature designer for both the Dark Crystal and, and Labyrinth, wrote a book. Um, and it was essentially supposed to be the book that Agra references where she's like, oh, it's the book of Agra, you know, there, this is all about the world and everything. So he literally wrote that book and like published it. And then he also kind of included some little, uh, ideas about where he got inspiration for making the creatures. Um, and it's so interesting because like you said, they, they have these human like qualities, but they're so animal like at the same time, like they look foreign, but at the same time, they look so, I don't know, real. Yeah. Um, so, like, what for did he example, say? Like, what is, uh, well, for example, yeah, sorry. the the Skeksis, you know, when I look at the Skeksis, the first thing I think of is they look like birds, like yeah, vultures. Same. Um, some people said, oh, they look like lizards, and they act only like they have a lizard brain. Well, f- Frank uh, actually, or Brian, excuse me, actually said specifically that they're influenced by anglerfish what yes an anglerfish the heck is where he got his inspiration for the skexies okay i need to look up an anglerfish again they're the ones with the little lantern on the front of their oh, head the creepy bottom yeah. of the sea yes. looking ones that's what they're based off yes of? i i thought birds yeah i, I would I mean, have thought the, the same thing. thing for me you know, the beaks the the way they move, uh, the fact that their heads are like that. I, when you said vultures, I was like spot mm-hmm. on. I never once thought like lizardy ever. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I guess birds are evolved lizards. Yeah. Huh. I don't know. That's weird. I, and you mentioned like horses or something for the other guys. That was the mystics. The mystics yeah, yeah. I could kind of see that, but I don't really. They look like some kind of mammal to me. I guess. But I don't know if I would have said horse. I know. I wouldn't have thought the same thing either. But, like, the way that their hair, after I heard that or after I read that in Brian Froud's book, I did kind of realize that, like, the way that their hair parts and, like, comes down, even though it's really stringy and kind of mm. gross, um, it's like, wow, that is kind of like a mane. A horse's yeah. mane does kind of follow that similar thing. Um, but there was another thing Brian Froud mentioned that was really interesting to me. So the Garth, the Gartham? Or the yeah the Gartham the beetle creatures that the Skeksis That's what those are like called? command yeah okay. um, and they have like the the big claws and everything so he wanted Brian Froud wa- wanted to have this idea of making a creature that again referenced something that's realistic um, but he lived in New York City so it's like he had no way of saying like oh you know what I want to get a crab in New York City so he was actually eating lobster one night and then he took a lobster tail from his plate and he was like i'm taking this back to the studio and he's like i'm i'm designing a creature around this oh my god and that's where the gartham came i could be. see that yeah they definitely look like crustaceans i don't know if the they reminds me of like if a crab and a beetle had a baby um yeah yeah but yeah those those things used to freak me out too just the sounds they made yeah <laughs> yep and the yeah. the embracing of them yeah um damn i didn't realize it went that deep yeah as far as like the background of the design of the characters, the world building in general, like the lore, I yeah. guess, that goes along with it. Um, but I think that part of the reason I didn't think about that stuff is like I'm so captivated by the surface level stuff. Yeah. That I am like I don't even need to go 
deeper because that surface level is so captivating so much so that if they're talking about like the uh would you say the planet was called thra if they mention like thra in that movie like i've seen that movie uh my god dozen times or more yeah and i don't know if i've ever heard that word in it maybe because maybe because i'm so fixated on what's happening yeah in the film that i don't really listen super close because there's other visual elements that are capturing my attention more so than the auditory oh, ones. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I have to. I almost want to watch it again just to hear some of the finer points. Well, and the Netflix show is like way in depth. There's a Dark Crystal Netflix show. Yes, it's called Age of Resistance. Oh, I thought that was like a sequel or something like that. It's a prequel. What? Yeah, and like the reason that they had to cancel it was because it cost like sixteen million dollars to make the first season. So they made one season? Yes, and it's all practical effects. Well, mostly practical effects. When did there it come out? CGI. It came out two years ago. No way. Yeah, it, oh, I've never heard of that at dude, all. Dude, and there's a video game. There's all sorts of other things. And, like, it's crazy because all of the Gelflings are there. So it's all about the Gelflings Weird. now. And like, Weird. The thing that is so bizarre about Age of Resistance is that you can see human races in the Gelflings. So, like... The Gelflings live in different regions of Thra, and you can literally see how, like, wow, the Gelflings reflect human races, mm. and like, there's different ethnicities of them sprinkled across. It's, I gotta watch that. I gotta, I gotta write that down. It's, it's called Age wild. of Resistance. Yes, Age okay. of Resistance. Um, I tried to get like really deep into that, but like, you know, I kept thinking, oh man, you know, I love the original Dark Crystal. So there's kind of just a little bit of a divide for me, but I still like it. That always happens for shows, especially things that come out so much later. Yeah. Um, one of the things, like, Beavis and Butthead, when they tried to do a reboot, mm -hmm. like, I'm a huge Beavis and Butthead fan. Like, that's a big nostalgia trigger for me. But whenever they try to do that, like, season four or five or whatever MTV did, and this was, I think, 2015 or 14. I'm not sure when it was, but it was, like, you know, well over a decade almost after it stopped airing. Mm -hmm. And I just remember thinking like, yeah, the, the, it's still Beavis and Butthead, but there's something not there, and I don't know what it is. Yeah. Uh, I, I think a lot of the time when they try to, like, remake movies or something like that, we kind of get this feeling where it's like, eh, that's just, it's just not there. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's because the, the nostalgia effect isn't as heavy when you see it, like, in real time. Yeah. So. Or, you know, if it would have come out, a year or two after the original Dark Crystal might be totally different. Yeah, just, exactly. It's so separated that I wonder if people who would see that for the first time would even be interested, you know, people that are 12, 13, 14 now, if they'd even be interested in the original because, you know, that might be their original. True. Yeah, um, that's a good point. I always look at that for, like, Star Wars. Like, I truly think the prequel series, and people might roast us on this one, <laughs> but I think the prequel series are better movies, like, in my mind. Mm -hmm. uh, like, there's a better plot. There's Things are more fleshed out. And, I mean... Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace came out when I was like seven or eight. So yeah, it like means more to me than the older films. I appreciate what they did. Yeah, but like I look at you know something like this Dark Crystal Age of Resistance, maybe like that for some kids today. They like they might not even have the same appreciation. Right. You know, or kids watching Sesame Street today, same thing. Like they might just not even they might look at the old stuff and be like, why'd they do it like that? Yeah. That's weird. Like like well, that's that's how it should look today. Yep. But, oh, exactly. Well. 
Exactly. Um, dude, okay. Well, uh, did you have anything else you wanted to say on Dark Crystal? Dark Actually, Crystal. Sorry, I didn't want to. I, I think I'm good forward. on Dark Crystal. Okay. I just love that movie. Yeah, no, me too, <laughs> dude. It's making me want to watch it again. And we just watched <laughs> it the other day before we went to the exhibit. Um, so I guess kind of while we're in that same vein, uh, there are some things that maybe you, you wanted to say about Labyrinth at all? Absolutely. Okay. So, Absolutely. Uh, like I said, I think Dark Crystal was 1984, and I remember seeing Labyrinth was 1986. So. A little bit before our time, but still um, fresh enough that I definitely remember watching it growing up. It's kind of like Gremlins. Like, yeah. that movie came out before I was born, but that still means... Or The Goonies, right? Like, Oh, my gosh, one. yeah. Like, totally came out before I was born, but still means a lot to a 90s kid. Yeah, oh, I watched a lot of He-Man and stuff like that, too, mm-hmm. when I was growing up. So, like, my cousin was born in the early 80s, and he was, like, my my biggest idol when I was a kid. So everything that he did, I did, and I watched it. So I feel yep. like I grew up with stuff before my time, and I was okay with that. That's cool. See, yeah, thank God my dad showed us that stuff because I don't know if I would have. I didn't have any older cousins, really. Um, like, my my cousin on my dad's uh, side is just as old as I am. So we like we kind of showed our mm-hmm. you know younger cousins and siblings that stuff. But... You know, I, I definitely would have missed out on a lot, yeah, for sure. So yeah. I'm glad that my uh, my parents showed me the way. Yeah. Uh, but what's what are some of the things that captivate you with Labyrinth? Okay, so this is the thing. I, while I do think Dark Crystal is a better movie because it's just it's darker, it's just more captivating to me. The the uh, production, like the the actual making of the puppets and the music and the acting and everything, it is almost more in depth in Labyrinth. Yeah, to to where I appreciate it for that element, but the story and the dialogue and stuff like that, it isn't as enthralling to me. So, I, there are some things I want to say about it. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think it's it has to do really with the humans, and then the Bowieisms are just too much yeah. for me. Yeah, um, I mean, Dark Crystal is a movie I could watch once a year and be like, yeah. Labyrinth, I can't do that. I don't know why. I think it's just the the plot or something isn't there for me. Um, but I still really appreciate the not only the the darkness of it, um, but it, have you ever seen Pan's Labyrinth? Yes, I was so going to bring that up. Okay, there's a couple of things that just remind me of Pan's Labyrinth with the regular Labyrinth that. I think it maybe helped. It maybe helped influence that movie. I'm not really sure, but um, there's some. Similar parallels in my mind yeah. to that movie. Well, um, I would agree that like Guillermo del Toro is almost like a modern day Jim Henson. What else does he do outside of uh, Pan's Labyrinth? Well, he did like um, Pacific Rim. He's done a couple movies, like a couple short films that were kind of in homage towards H.P. Lovecraft. He did Hellboy. Um, oh, he did Hellboy? Yeah, yeah. That was a really interesting movie. And the character design and everything like that. It's fantastic. Um, there's a couple other things Guillermo del Toro did, though. I'm, I'm trying to think of off the top of my head. Um, I'll come up with a couple here. It's but. okay. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I could see that he is sort of a kind of a modern person in that realm. Uh, Hellboy, for sure. Uh, you know, when you look at that, the, the animations in Pan's Labyrinth, I could kind of see some of those parallels too i don't know that's funny that you mentioned that i guess i just don't really know much of his other stuff yeah well i mean a lot of practical effects too like that's his thing Um, just not using cg yeah so like uh he also did some of the blade movies i don't know blade oh oh duh wesley snipes yeah yeah he did blade yes what yeah he directed blade too that was a good one i didn't like blade three or trinity or whatever but dude number one and number two those movies 
kick ass. Yes, he did. Yeah, he did Blade Two. Um, he also did things like well, we already mentioned Hellboy. Let's see, there's a couple other. Oh, The Shape of Water, Oscar winner from 2017. I don't know that one. Um, if you look at it, like. It, the, the way that the creature, for lack of a better term, looks in that movie, uh, the guy that Doug Jones plays, is phenomenal. And it's all, like, real makeup. Hmm. So he is, to me, the modern-day Jim Henson. Okay. Really yeah, cool. there's, well, I mean, there's no one else I can think of that's doing anything remotely similar. Doesn't that, I mean, literally almost every film or movie that I've seen since almost 2010 has so much CGI, I can't even watch it. Like, yeah. they keep trying to do these older Disney movies or these older... Um, well, like Jungle Book, Tarzan, um, some of the other Disney movies that they're recreating, like the new Lion King one, it just looks not, it's just not my cup of tea. Yeah, maybe maybe a modern kid would be like, oh, it's awesome. But yeah. like, I'm just like, why do that at all? I, de- I definitely agree. So 100%. Um, um, what are some other things you had for Labyrinth? Okay. Uh, well, I want to talk about the worst scene in the la- in Labyrinth that I just cannot stand. I say, I got to be fair. It's been at least... At least seven or eight years since I've seen this movie. So okay, that's you have okay. To jog my memory here. Well, you know what? I did want to give a plot rundown quick anyway. Okay. So for people that may not have seen it, um, it's about this girl named Sarah who's played by uh, Jennifer Connelly, who's a very famous actress now. Um, but she's like this 16 year old girl baby babysitting her little brother Toby, uh, and Toby's just a baby and he doesn't stop crying mm-hmm. and she's like ah oh, I wish you would get taken by the goblin king because she's like obsessed with fantasy so David Bowie and all of these goblins like invade her room and they take Toby and then they take him to the middle of uh, this labyrinth they hide him away in this this city in the middle of a labyrinth mm-hmm. and like he's like the the personification of youth and everything like that so David Bowie is like oh I want him and you're gonna have to come get him by midnight if you want to get him back uh, so Sarah goes into this labyrinth and she like meets all these creatures and everything um oh god but there's a scene in the movie and people love it because it's a david bowie musical number oh and it's it's dance magic dance and it's awful Mm. oh it's awful the thing that i do like about it though is there's 48 puppets like so it's like you see every single goblin puppet in there 52 people had to be puppeting every single one of those things Mm -hmm. so that's cool the other thing that's cool is it's completely unscripted. So, like, everything you see the puppets doing in this scene is, like, they're just... The puppeteers are just like, let's just make them do this. Freestyle. Yeah. <laughs> that's Freestyle, cool. yeah, which is cool. But it's so, so cringy. The the music and everything, I just it's just not for me. Damn. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you on the music side of things. That's... That's where that one doesn't really captivate me as much as there's a little bit too much, like, I don't want to say musical element, but there is one in that that film that I don't really like as much, and then, like I said, the real people. But yeah. Other than that, still cool. Yes. Still cool. Very imaginative, very original, very just different. Yes, and you know what? I will say my favorite scene in that movie, too. My favorite scene, I don't. maybe you remember this, is uh, the staircase scene where... Mm. Jareth, the Goblin King, is like running with the baby from Sarah. And it's like, it literally looks like an M.C. Escher painting, the one with the staircases. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, he inverts himself on a staircase and he's walking upside down. And then like he appears somewhere else. And it's like, damn, they made that set. And that's badass. The way that he's like walking up and down. uh, It's incredible. Especially for the time. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, funnily enough, the baby in that movie is Frank Oz's son. No way. That's weird. Yes. So like Jim Henson wanted to put Toby, the baby, 
on uh, this really, really high scaffolding. And he was like, oh, because we want Sarah not to be able to, to get him. Um, and Frank Oz was like, no. Yeah, absolutely not. <laughs> um, so they actually put him on a cardboard box on the ground, and then they shot up to make oh, it look like he was dude, way that's cool. I up. love movie magic. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Whether it's like the way that they create folly, whether or fully, what is it? Folly, fully, folly. Uh, I don't. I think they're whatever those found sounds yeah. are. I don't yeah. remember. Uh, I think I thought it was fully. I don't know folly. Uh, whatever it is, uh, the ways they create, you know, sounds for you know stab wounds yes. or stuff like that. But then also like the the camera angle tricks, yeah. like things that they can do to create some sort of illusion uh, for the viewer that that clearly didn't happen on set. Yeah, perspective shots are fascinating. Mm-hmm. One that I always think of, uh, maybe we could do another nostalgia episode on, is in Willy Wonka. When he walks to the end of the hallway and it shrinks. Oh, and God, it's the tiny I love door. that part. Oh, yeah. my God. One yeah. of my favorite movies ever. So. That's a good movie. That's one that uh, is always, if it's on, we'll watch it just to have in the background or something. There's so many good lines yeah. from that movie. Gene uh, Wilder. G- I would say, G- and Gene Wilder in that yeah. movie. Like, I, one of my favorite parts to see my brother now is laughs. Like, at the end of that movie when he's, like, starting to lose it and his yeah. hair gets all, like, messy and he just looks like a crazy man, yeah. you know? And it's like, God, oh, it's okay, Charlie. Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, that movie is amazing because of the adult themes in it, and it's like so human. And like again, to to go back to our morality episode, mm-hmm. it is like a question of like morality or the human condition, mm-hmm. or like greed and things like that. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah, and I like how they take different people from different walks of life and put them in the same situation. They're like, "What would you do?" Yeah, exactly. Um, and Charlie kind of is this quintessential good at heart yes pure kid yeah, yeah. pure. so th- i mean that's another nostalgia trip right there but um so we talked a little bit about hoggle from labyrinth mm-hmm. kind of how they puppeted in him and everything um i've always liked hoggle as a character not never been a big fan of Jareth mm-hmm. because I, I don't you know i like david bowie but i don't like yeah. the goblin king I'd character. take it or leave yeah. it um so do you have a favorite character that you can think uh, of maybe? i would say um, probably Hoggle too, just because it stands out the most. Yeah, he is. He's like, like iconic. Yeah, that's just the that's the one that sticks out in my head the most. But that's a movie I probably should have just watched and sucked it up. But I just wanted to watch Dark Crystal before the exhibit and not Labyrinth. I don't even it's know if we have Labyrinth. Yeah, it's yeah. just better. Um, and I didn't realize too that those were like his only two films, kind of before he passed away. Like he had some the other projects. Ones, yeah. yeah. Um, like that the storyteller one. Um, like I don't. I just remember towards the end of the exhibit, like there was. It was kind of going chronologically. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that until I was halfway in it. Yeah. I was like, okay, it's going like from his early career towards the end of his career. Yep. And it kind of got m- bigger productions and more movie-based instead of TV shorts, you know? And yeah. It got to a point where it's just more established as a, a production company. And, and um, so the ideas that they were able to come up with were a little bit, they're able to come up with more obscure ideas and still get funding for them, I should yeah, say. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, the, so the storyteller was one of those other ones that, Again, towards the end of his career, he's starting to have these interesting ideas. Um, so for those of you guys that don't know, and I know Riley can maybe explain a little bit better, but the way I understand the storyteller is it's like this anthology series of different kind of myths. And um, I, for last night, I was just, I was one of those things I've been wanting to watch because we've been into the Jim Henson stuff of late. Um, I wanted to watch it just, just to kind of see what Jim Henson had done. Um, but then I started watching it and I was like, oh, it's definitely cool for a time, but I don't know if it could like hold 
somebody's attention today. Yeah. Maybe, unless you were like super into it. Yeah. Um, but for the time, it was super cool. Like, yeah. you know, going over, uh, I watched the Daedalus and Icarus one, and then there was one on Medusa um, that I thought were pretty cool. Yeah. And, and the, the Greek one is fantastic. Um, but like you said, like you, you kind of have to have an appreciation for Greek myths already. Mm-hmm. Um, the original the just standard storyteller one the way that they take stories from different parts of the world and throughout history is it's amazing and uh the costumes again are fantastic and like the way that they shoot things in a a perspective again it's all of these tricks that jim henson is like adding to his little his little bag Mm -hmm. um and then using it in this TV show. And it's actually a pretty highly rated TV show. Um, it, it has an 8.9 out of 10 on IMDb. Damn, that's is, really highly rated. And again, I think it just, from my perspective, it was just so much, I don't want to use the word old. Yeah. But just like how some sometimes the pace of older movies is slower or older shows is just generally slower. Yeah. Um, so it just didn't keep my attention as much. And granted, it was late at night too. But. Well, I mean... I was watching scenes from Labyrinth yesterday uh, on YouTube, actually, and I had to play them in 1.5 speed because they talk so slow Mm -hmm. and, like, the way that they're puppeted. And maybe that's just because we've been so used to, like, CGI movies uh, and everything like that where it's like, okay, everything moves so fluidly, but we don't really realize that there are people that are, you know puppeting these yeah, things. Yeah, it's, so it's slowly but different. surely made us more impatient. Yeah, for definitely. For sure. Definitely. Like, I noticed that all the time, whether it's, you know, my phone, my, excuse me, <laughs> my phone struggling to load up, uh, you know, a web page, whether that is, um, you know, checking email, just waiting for it to, to pop up. Like, there's just a certain amount of impatience. And if it's that bad for things like internet speeds, and it's even worse for things that are, you know, hour-long films, stuff like that. Like, if it doesn't hold my attention in the first five minutes, it's, like, hard to keep it. Yeah, um, oh, big time. I just think, because it's because there's there are so many things competing for our attention yeah. in addition to those things that are competing for our attention are more attention getting yes. than things in the past. Exactly. And I, I do think that like now sometimes instead of watching an entire Jim Henson film, I'll watch like clips from a film and I'll be like, okay, that's, yeah, that's get your fix. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of because I want to appreciate the monsters. I want to appreciate the, um, the nostalgia of course of it. Mm-hmm. So, Damn, for sure, dude. Um, anything else you had on Labyrinth? That was one of those things where, like I said, it's been so long since I had seen it. I yeah. didn't really know what else to say about it other than just to make a little room to give it a little shout out. Yeah. I, I think the last thing I want to talk about with Labyrinth is just like, if you remember, maybe, mm-hmm. if I could jog your memory. Yeah. Uh, my favorite character is by far Didymus. Uh, he's the little like squirrel raccoon dog that rides Sarah's dog, the sheep dog. He rides a sheep dog. Um, but it's so funny because whenever they get into like a situation where he feels threatened, he starts barking. And then it's like almost ironic because he's this little dog creature that's riding on top of a dog. Um, and he's like he's like Don Quixote. Didymus? Okay. Yeah, Didymus. Yes. And uh, he's the protector of the bog of eternal stench. Okay, now that I'm looking at a list, I remember Ludo yep. a lot. And he attacks Ludo. Ludo's cool. Yep. Um the four guards, I definitely remember those guys. The, the four guards is interesting too. So that's that, see, that's the scene that follows my least favorite scene. Mm-hmm. Right after Dance Magic Dance, you have certain death riddle, uh, which I do kind of want to talk. Let's let's get into the four guards. The okay. four guards. It's interesting because it takes something so complex. This idea of is it the blue door or is it the red door, uh, and then 
adds this, well, it makes it complex when they add this riddle to it, mm-hmm. where one door could lead to your, um, your success, one could lead to your certain death. But the thing that the, the guards pose, so if you look at the guards, they look like a, a playing card. So there's a head on the top and there's a head on the bottom. Mm-hmm. And that's for each door. And then they say, um, there are four of us here. One of us always tells the truth. One of us is always lying. And then Sarah asks them a question like, well, if I were to go through this door, then blah, 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 answer me yes or no. They give her a bunch of double negatives. And then she eventually goes through the blue door, goes through it, and uh, she says, wow, I must be getting smarter. That was a total piece of cake. And then the floor opens up Mm -hmm. and she falls through. And then you start to realize, wait a minute, it wasn't a riddle in terms of which door is the correct one. It's, It's all in terms of your own uh hubris Hmm. it's like your confidence you can't be you can't think you're better than the puzzle so i think that that is like a fantastic application of logic damn in a jim henson movie i feel that way when i solve video game puzzles sometimes i'm like like especially and i hate doing this but if it gets to a point where like i can't solve it i can't advance and then i'll look it up and it will be way easier than i thought yeah or like some some stupid little detail that yeah. I just totally overlooked, but it's because the whole time I'm trying to solve it, I'm like, it can't be that hard. Yeah. Like it can't be that like, and difficult. you just overthink and overthink, I just and overthink, overthink it. What? So what's the first game that comes to mind when you're like, damn, I got stumped old Zelda games. Yep. That's it. So like the dungeons <laughs> and old Zelda yeah. games, especially the uh, game boy advance ones. Yeah. Like how to beat a boss. Yes. Like they'll all figure out like two of the three stages or, you know, like I'll get to a point where like really close to beating it. And then they'll start doing some move that I can't quite figure out the timing of or whatever. Cause a lot of those older games, they had like these gates or these loopholes mm-hmm. where like that would be programmed. Like there's, a certain time to attack or there's a certain time to defend or there's Mm -hmm. a certain time to do this that or the other so that you could defeat them and there would always be a couple of things so zelda is one of the big ones yes um the old tomb raider games oh yeah uh, i forgot about those where where i was i would just get stuck yeah um and then honestly if we're going back to the pokemon ones sometimes in a cave Mm -hmm. where uh you'd have to use strength and move boulders around and like get them in a right pattern remember there are a couple of times where i was like okay, I can't figure out, like, how, what boulder has to go where. Yeah. Or, like, the ice, uh, I think, is in second Fire, gen. And Fire Red and Leaf Green, they rebooted those. Oh, oh, in the, yeah. uh, when you're in the uh, Articuno cave? Uh-huh. Yep, like, there's just, like, you have to go uh, on the at the ice the right way. I don't know. Like, you have to move your character in the right way. Well, because when you step on the ice, you can't alter your path. You're in one cardinal direction, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I love those puzzles. I'm so glad you mentioned Zelda, though, because that is one of the things where it's like, you know, it's almost like this application of a labyrinth where it's like, holy shit, like there's so many different options. I have no idea what to do. When I was a kid, I used to get pissed yeah. playing um, either Ocarina of Time, Majora's Mask, or when I eventually got the GameCube, I played the Wind Waker Wind Waker's all the time. That's probably my favorite game game after the the witcher shading and that is so cool yes wonderful art style and everything like that legend of zelda i wish they would do a a redo of wind waker for switch they did for the wii u oh um so that game that whole system was a flop yeah i wish they would make a port to the switch it's the perfect game for the switch speaking of nostalgia and ports to the switch how's pikmin 
Oh, oh I, I, Pikmin's amazing. I, I just, love that nuts. game when I was little. It's amazing. The way, yeah, and like the way that the fruit looks so real, and like you, I don't know, it's it's the perfect ecologist's game. I was telling my wife that when I was playing it the other day, and she's like, "Oh, this game's so cute. It's so fascinating and everything." And it's like, yeah, and and it's so like, it like, I don't know, hits me in like the scientific realm where I'm like, "Oh, that's perfect," mm-hmm. or like just an appreciation for the environment yep. in general. So. Yeah, like just. I couldn't have said it better. There's something about like the space aspect of it. You're on a different planet. There's these creatures. And that's kind of why I like sci-fi games in general is like there's different ecologies and different worlds and yeah. planets. And I appreciate that a lot, especially yep. like No Man's Sky or Mass Effect or whatever, whenever they come up with like new races of, of creatures. Um, and then again, that that's another game that has a lot of random puzzles. Where yeah. I'm like, damn, okay, how do I get past this one? And you're in complete control. <laughs> but I'm glad you bring up sci-fi because sci-fi and world building is where we can kind of segue with Jim Henson into Farscape. I don't know Farscape. Oh my gosh, Farscape! Was that the exhibit yesterday? I didn't see anything. No, it wasn't at oh. the exhibit. It is a it is a Jim Henson Company produced TV show for Australian TV, and it's a sci fi show. It's like I'll be a hundred percent honest. It's like original Star Trek if it was like good. If it was like perfect. What's it called? It's called Farscape. It's on Amazon Prime. Oh. You can watch it for free. It is amazing. The way that they like there are elements of theoretical physics. There are elements of ecology there are so many different angles like with language Mm. the way that they can like communicate with one another so are they also puppeted or is it cg or how old is it so it was made i want to say in the late 90s if i remember correctly there's not a lot of puppets there are like some creatures in it but the way that they applied makeup to some of the actors it's fantastic that's cool um farscape though is like insane it went from 1999 to 2003 um yeah i haven't heard of it and like the whole idea of it is that this one astronaut is like thrown into the universe and then he's just on a crew with a bunch of creatures that are different from him Mm. so it's like he's supposed to be learning more about the creatures while at the same time trying to get back to our galaxy damn that's cool that's really interesting i've yeah i've never i've never even heard that uh come across any like yeah i just hadn't even heard of it it's bad farscape okay highly recommend um yeah dude there's something about sci-fi and fantasy both that have to lend themselves to world building in general whether that is the actual um, planet or universe that they're in Mm -hmm. um the kind of physics that govern that world Mm -hmm. the kind of animals that will be in that world um how that world came to be um you know, whether or not there's multiple iterations of it, if there's parallel worlds in that universe, like mm-hmm. there's, you can just go so deep just on the foundations of it. And then they build the story on the foundation. And that's something that my imagination always goes crazy. Um, that's actually one of the words I had written down, like is that the fun of, of a lot of the, the Jim Henson and people like him, even the guy who did Pan's Labyrinth, what was his name? Guillermo del Toro. Those guys' imagination just, shits on everybody else's imaginations yeah. like yeah. it's like man like if i if i could be that imaginative but i so appreciate what they bring to the world because then it helps expand my imagination exactly it's like this like their imagination bumps into mine in a way that broadens mine With the, absolutely i don't think i could say it better um there's like a sense of wonder like whenever i feel like you know i want to i want a sense of wonder I'll watch like The Dark Crystal or watch like a fantasy movie or a mm-hmm. sci-fi movie. Um, and I think that there's such a, 
I don't know. I have such an appreciation for fantasy and sci-fi movies and books and media in general because it just is so foreign to us. Mm-hmm. And like it's so enthralling because it's something like we've never experienced before. That's why I love Lord of the Rings. Yeah, Mass Effect was the biggest one for me that like hit that and The Witcher, but like that hit me so hard that I remember playing Mass Effect and like getting to a point where I was so deep into the first and second games that I was like this is a viable future Mm -hmm. like this could happen yeah when you look at uh how far ahead it takes place like you know i think it's like 2182 or 2181 like it gives it just enough time for you to be like okay well if we give humanity 180 years like what could we do how far could we get into space or you know if you give 180 years what are the chances that we you know get good enough technology to explore space and find the technology that allows us to explore it further yeah like there's just enough validity in there that it made it so believable yeah and uh even the way that they have the the politics of the government in general like the global alliance and stuff like that i was like oh my god like we should have a global alliance, like yeah. something like that. Yeah, and like the application of, of like you said, physics and mm-hmm. just human nature. And I think there are elements of philosophy and science and chemistry and all sorts of other things that get just kind of packed into one nice little digestible thing. I just love it. Dude, it's it's nuts. Hey, um, um, so what are some other uh, video games or movies or whatever that just tickled that world building f- fancy for you? The biggest one is Dune. For me personally. Dune. Oh, uh, the book? Yes, Frank oh. Herbert's book, Dune. Okay. Um, The first time I read it, hated it. I was like, wow, I've never been so bored with a science fiction novel or, or just any piece of science fiction in general. But when I revisited Dune, I was like, damn, like... He talks about the sandworms. He talks about the history of the planet. He talks about the makeup of the planet. You're like, oh, it's a, it's a desert world. What's cool about that? And then it's like... The artifacts are cool. The politics is cool. It's just, it's so immersive. And luckily, we got a Dune movie coming up. Oh, dude, I've seen some little bits about that. I would like to read the book before I see it. It's a freaking honker of a book. Um, I remember one of uh, one of my best friends, Christian, he was reading it back in our lifeguarding days. And then his brother had picked it up and both of them were like, no, nah, dude, it's, it's a cool book. Like, yeah. It's definitely worth a read. And I just haven't had a chance to sit down and read it. But knowing what's in it, uh, even, um, oh, there's another teacher, one of our English teachers at our school uh, gives kids uh, an opportunity to read that for an English book. Really? Um, yep. Yep. That's very cool. Yeah, it's really cool. And he was talking to me about it one day, and I was asking him, I was like, hey, man, like, would you suggest I read it, or how should I approach it? And he's like, well, I mean, I got an extra copy if you want to borrow it sometime, and we can kind of talk about it as you read it, mm-hmm. which, I, you know, the, now that I know you've read it too, there's enough people in my life. It's almost like the same thing as the Ayn Rand uh, <laughs> books where, like, multiple people in my life will bring up some book or movie or something, I'm like, oh my God, you haven't seen that? It's so you. Or like yeah. for The Witcher, like I hadn't played that before. And when my dad had learned that that I hadn't played it, he's like, dude, buy that game. Like that game is so you. Yeah. And I bought it and sure enough, it, it was so you. right down, <laughs> yeah, right up my alley. Uh, and so Dune is one of those that's on my list. Yeah. Uh, just, 
I, the, the religion element and the politics, but yep. I also like, and this is again, maybe coming from mass effect, but I, I read like all the details of the planets, even if it's like a not livable planet, I'll, mm-hmm. I'll read what people wrote in the excerpt of like, oh, for sure. whether it's a gaseous planet or yeah. how far its orbit is in its particular solar system, like stuff that literally doesn't matter. But I'm like, somebody thought about this. I want yes. to read it. And um, like, even if a fan creates it, I'm curious about it. Yep. Like, oh dude, fan. It's, it goes deep. Star Wars is huge. Better. But like with Dune, I mean, you've got, I, I believe it's nine base books because after Frank Herbert died, his son picked it up. I didn't know that. I thought it was just Dune and that was it. No, there's like nine of them. And like, I think his son is continuing with it, but I can't remember exactly. Then there's a fucking encyclopedia. There is an entire encyclopedia. I'm talking like thousand plus pages just about things in Dune. It's insane. That's cool. Um, Any book that can do that, though, like that kind of imagination is what I'm talking about. Yes. Like, that's and so deep. Kickstart a franchise that's, I'll be 100% honest, kind of underappreciated. And I think a lot of it was because people were like, oh, the David Lynch film sucks. Well, first off, huge David Lynch fan, so mm. I'm biased. I love that movie. Um, but the way that, Frank Herbert went into depth talking about how people breathe on a desert planet and how they wear a a suit that regulates their water by reverse osmosis in their bodies. It's insane. It's like this guy is more than just an author. He's like he's like a full on scientist. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's and that's insane. where it gets that's where it gets funny for me too. Is when I'm like, when it, it, they transcend that role of author to straight up world builder. Yeah, um, it's a different level. Which I mean, for lack of a better word, Jim Henson was a world builder. He had so many. I mean, I was looking at the the notes here. Like Sesame Street is a world separate than that of the Muppets, and both of them have so many characters and so much. And those characters all have different relations with each other yep. or with the world that they're in. Um, obviously, we've already mentioned Dark Crystal and Labyrinth, and then the other uh, sort of projects that he had. They all sort of exist on their own island. Like he made multiple room for these sort of universes in his yeah. imagination. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know, looking at looking at it, I'm like, I was going back and forth. You know, do I like Sesame Street or Muppets better? What would you say? Oh, Muppets. Muppets, I think, yeah. I think Sesame Street's more the childish thing. Like, it, it, yeah. hits, it hits a different nostalgic nerve. Yeah. Like, I don't think I could still watch Sesame Street, but I could still watch the Muppets. Yeah, oh, God, um, yeah. And it's because there's a different... It's a different demographic, maybe, that it's trying to read. It's, it's broader. It's not like the educational, like, okay, we're going to do our numbers today, yeah. you know, or today uh, featuring the letter F, you yes. know? <laughs> yeah, well, and sometimes the Muppets is so fucking funny. Yeah. Like, oh, the, the even loop. the baby Muppets. Yeah, oh, my God, me yeah. up when we were little. We used yeah. to watch that at our daycare. The, like, the, like, <laughs> the lewdness of Miss Piggy mm. and the way that she interacts with Kermit is hilarious. Dude, their relationships, really, that's one of the things I wrote down was Kermit and Piggy like back and forth always cracked me up oh my god man there's so many good memes about it too. oh i haven't seen oh any kermit miss piggy memes there's a lot of good kermit memes and gifts period yes uh just with dancing kermit kermit with a freaking uh uh copper mug like a i forget what they're called like the a moscow tea mule. One. Yeah, yeah yeah that one's popular what's the one with uh the dark kermit where it's like he's talking to himself and it's like the dark side of him i haven't seen oh that one i don't God, think but there's definitely some good kermit memes the and gifts. suicide kermit that one's a good one which one's that one the, the one that's like cartoony or it's like the big red lips uh-uh oh. somebody pushed a kermit doll off of a off of a building 
and like it just like falls and there's this lady that's just screaming um i'll link a clip okay. in the show notes but okay i'll watch it that oh sounds my good God, it's so funny I'll, I'll i'll show it to you after this um okay so i i need to look up other Muppet memes though because I imagine there's some probably really funny ones with Animal or Beaker or even Miss Piggy um you know what's the name of those two old guys that are always like her 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 oh ah, god what are they called they're the ones that are like they're always commenting on things yeah the oh my god there, there's a bunch of like references to them in in like modern day media but i cannot think of what their names are. it's okay i don't i say i don't know their names either but those two guys their freaking banter cracked me up yes um and then i always liked how they all sort of have like there's enough of a separation between them uh piggy (laughs) (laughs) that was a family guy (laughs) oh my gosh riley just showed me a meme of uh it's from family guy but it's uh kermit and miss piggy having a kid and it looks like a frog pig and Nightmare. it's like melting and it's yeah. screaming, kill me. <laughs> oh gosh. There's yeah, I need to look up some more of those. Um I will say there are some some characters on Sesame Street that really sound, stand out for me, like Cookie Monster or, or Oscar the Grouch. But the whole cast of the Muppets is just really rich. Um the fact that Animal is like, you know, a drummer in the band, that whole band that they have is awesome. Yes. Uh, in that show. Very, very cool for its time. Um and what I was saying about Beaker and Dr. Bunsen Honeydew is like the way that they interact is like separate from, you know, what Gonzo's doing and that's separate yeah. from Miss Piggy and, and Kermit. And at the end of the day, they all still come together. Oh, um, Fozzie, uh, all yeah. those guys are just great. One of my personal waka, waka. Uh, Pepe the Prawn. Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah dude. He's like, he's a small feature that comes in every once in a while. But and he's, he's got the forearms and he always does the thumbs up. I love Pepe the Prawn. I also love Rolf. Rolf the dog is fantastic. Oh, is he the brown dog? That's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, another one I really, really like is Sam the Eagle. Um, if you go to Disneyland or Disney World, I don't know, whatever one's in Florida. I went there with World. my wife's family. Okay. World? Okay, I went there I've with my I've been there. It's cool. It was really cool. They have like a colonial village and Sam the Eagle will like kick the door open with an American flag and will like give this whole like really patriotic speech. It's kind of badass. So uh, <laughs> as an adult, you thought it was cool? Yeah, I, w- I would still like, I would stand there and listen to mm. it again. It always cool. uh, cracks me up. I mean, this is nothing, no hate, but like the people that do their honeymoon at like Disney World or something like that. I'm like, oh man, like, oh you God, guys it's are always like made grown me really adults. uncomfortable. Like that's just yeah. kind of weird. Yeah, um, we had gone there with her like younger siblings. Too, oh, so I didn't know she had younger yeah. siblings. Okay. Uh, yeah, I forgot about Sam Eagle, but when you mentioned uh, the Swedish chef guy, he's funny. Oh, the Swedish Rizzo. chef. Yeah. Rizzo is one of my favorites. Dude, the old guys, okay, they're called Statler and, and Waldorf. Waldorf. Yes, that's what it was, Waldorf. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. Dude, I always think of them as like a George Carlin type character. Okay, so this is, oh, so this has Muppets and Sesame Street people together, but I wonder if... If they live in the same universe. Well, I don't know if there was like a crossover or anything. Well, Fraggle Rock, too. That's one that we haven't got to get into. And that's one that I barely watched, but my dad and uncle were flipping obsessed with. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The Fraggles. And I I got really captivated in the exhibit watching. They have that like, what is a Fraggle? Mm -hmm. Like, And they were going and talking about like, what makes a Fraggle a Fraggle? And that's universe building, too. But on like, I don't want to use the word juvenile. Um that's world building with your audience in mind. You're not trying to be dark. Yeah, but it's more like, accessible. Yeah, yeah, and that just cracked me up. Yeah. Um, 
Gosh. Anyway, oh, Sweetums was the last guy I couldn't remember. Uh, With the big nose. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of a funky dude. I remember him in um, the Muppets Christmas Carol. Yep. Uh, yep. Quite well. I think he was uh, like Father Time or like the crazy. I don't know. One of one of the main. Sort of doom and gloom characters in there. The like ghost messing with Scrooge. I always think of the ghost of Christmas. That's present. what I was, Is that what yeah. it is? Well, I don't remember. What it's it a different one. But so long since I've dude, seen that. Dude, Michael Caine's in that movie. Really? Hey, Scrooge. That's Michael Caine. Yes. Damn. Yes. Uh, yeah, he's sweet. One of the ones that always used to freak me out when I was a kid was Crazy Harry. Oh, which one's that guy? This guy now? with the gray okay, skin, and he had like the black hair, and he had like teeth that would stick out. And uh, I don't know, he used to, like, I barely remember him at he used to, all. Like singing, crazy Harry, crazy what, Harry what, used to freak me in? the hell out. In the show, like regular show. Yeah, he was in the he was in the show. Uh, Bean Bunny, Bean Bunny was another one that I always used to show love that as guy. a kid. I don't know why. Um, but there was like a whole family. Oh, of yes, Bean I Bunnies. remember those guys. Gosh, it, I can't. Looking at the list of characters now, it's amazing how many they came up with. And they're all original puppets, all original costumes, all, you know, colors, everything. And then they became larger than life. Yes, absolutely. I just have an immense appreciation for them. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Well, even how old they are. Like yeah. Sesame Street, uh, from what I found, remember, this is just conjecture. That was uh, uh, 1969, and then Muppets was 1961. Yep. So, like, they... I mean, that that's an old series, and we're still talking about it, and it's still captivating kids. Yep, yep, exactly. Um, let's see here. Any other any other pieces you wanted to bring up? I mean, th- that was most of my notes. I just think the coolest thing about Jim Henson World in general is how much fun it was having. Uh, yeah. How much fun, excuse me, they looked or appeared to be having yeah. while making that show, how many people yep. it has still touched, and just the sheer originality. Yes. They do not do it like that anymore. Yeah. And they never will, I don't think. I agree. And I think, we, yeah, I think we've I think we kind of wrapped it up. I would just recommend people look for Jim Henson's short films. Watch The Dark Crystal if you haven't seen it. Watch Labyrinth if you haven't seen it. Um, just look for those little things. It's just fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, even the Muppets. Like, my wife is not a big Muppets fan, but really? her okay. dad loves Muppets. Yeah. And... That is like, it's like contagious. So I just hope that like our nostalgia mm-hmm. or all our, our appreciation for the world building or anything like that uh, is, yeah, contagious. Trickles into the fans. Yeah, yeah I will yeah. say, um, you know, l- my dad's um, sort of obsession and, and my uncle, like I said, with Fraggle Rock has interested me and in just like I want to maybe watch an episode just to maybe get an appreciation for it. But that was one I just didn't have a big impact on me, but it had a big enough impact on other people that it certainly made me curious yeah. uh, about it. Amen. Okay, well, guys, that was sort of our visit uh, of Nostalgia Part 2, or I guess Nostalgia Series Episode 2, but uh, really digging into some Jim Henson stuff there. So go ahead and go appreciate some. But last episode, I will say that we... We kind of let you guys short. Uh, we for, I, I wouldn't say we forgot to add a song. Um, that was kind of the intention is not to have a song, but we definitely forgot to add jokes yeah. uh, to our last one. Or maybe it was a word. I don't know. It was just uh, Riley and I hadn't seen each other for so long. We were trying to get in the swing of things. We're like, man, we kind of messed up some of our special segments. So uh, for word of the day, I mean, the one I had for you guys was Marionette, um, which is a puppet that's controlled from the top. Um, so it's a puppet where, you know, they're attached. Usually there's like a wooden cross and a bunch of strings uh, attached to it and you control it from the top and uh, I actually used to have a, a couple of different ones I used to kind of uh, whether it was like from amusement parks or whatever I don't remember but oh, I definitely yeah. had used a, to walk around yeah, yeah I definitely had a little one you could walk around uh, and so yeah marionette a puppet manipulated from above with strings um, but it's funny because in my mind as soon as I read that word I was like well what's a puppet that's controlled from the bottom 
like with a hand or without strings, and it's just called a puppet. I thought there'd be some fancy word for it because marionette seems fancy, but yeah, I did not know that whatsoever. Um, I guess I came up with one as well. One one that I would like to share is adroitness. 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 How do you spell it before you talk about it? A D R O I T N E S S. I've never used that word in my life. Yeah, I have never seen it until okay. recently. But adroitness, uh, the reason that I picked that is because it's cleverness or skill. So I think if like Jim Henson had profound adroitness in puppetry. Yeah, puppetry, puppet, well, puppeteering and, yeah. and puppet, uh, everything that kind of goes with it. But to, I just, I don't know, I think about that spark. Like that's a weird spark to get into. But then the fact that you make a career out of it, that's awesome. Yeah. It's really yeah. cool. Um, so some words for you guys. We got uh, marionette. And one more time, what was it? Adroit- adroitness. 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 That's one I have to even practice. It's It would be hard to use that in everyday speech if I didn't Definitely. get it under my tongue. Definitely. Adroitness. Yeah. Or would you use it like somebody's very adroit? Uh, I think like you approach something with adroitness or like, mm. wow, uh, Teddy Roosevelt had fantastic political adroitness. Okay. Interesting. Oh, all right. Cool word. Thank you for bringing that one. Um, all right. So some jokes. Dude, Riley, you got a joke for us today? I do have if a not, joke. No worries. I have, I have one joke uh, specifically relating to Jim Henson. What did Kermit the Frog say at Jim Henson's funeral? What? Nothing. Oh, <laughs> damn! So at his expensive, it you know kind of hurts That's a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh, uh, there was there was another Kermit one you had. Other uh, uh, was it like? I don't even remember. I don't know what it was. I I can't think of it. It's now. okay, but yeah, that's a good that's a good little Kermit one. Um, so I got a couple of them here uh, today. One is um, Riley. How do you embarrass an archaeologist? I don't know. Give him a used tampon and ask him what period it's from. Oh, <laughs> oh God! I love awkward humor. Like when things are oh, awkward. There's so, so many just, levels to that one that just cracked me up. Just envisioning that is so funny. I love that. Yeah, that's a funny one. Uh, and then I had one more too. Um, what did the elephant say to the man? I don't know. How do you breathe out of that thing? Funny that is so too. funny considering like the the Dutch TV show yeah. that's taking the world. Well, it just storm. well, there's that, and then I was thinking about Snuffleupagus, which cracked me. Oh up my too. god, yeah, absolutely. So, anyways, um, yeah, and then as far as our songs go, definitely going to sneak some in here. So the ones that I the one I had picked uh, definitely triggers nostalgia for me. It's a, it's a okay, neon cool. Indian song. Oh, um, nice. That nice. I used to listen to back in high school. Cool. And I might be familiar with it. It yeah, it was. I heard it the other day and I was like, I need to remember this one for our podcast since I knew we were going to be revisiting uh-huh. this sort of concept of feeling feeling like the old days and that good feeling that comes with it. Yeah. Um, so the song is called uh, Halogen by Neon Indian. Okay. Um, so yeah, we'll just kind of listen to it, jam out, and then cool. we'll go over to yours and right. uh, call it a day. Let's do it. So like I said, this song uh, by Neon Indian, it's called Halogen, I Could Be a Shadow.
Neon Indian for us. So you said you had listened to them uh, a little bit when you were younger, too? Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember people had been talking about them for, like, a brief period of time when I was in... No, it was probably when I was in high school. And then it was like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm familiar with them. And okay. Then, um, I can't remember specifically what the songs were that I would have listened to. No worries. I mean, they're one of those ones, if you hear it, you would definitely recognize it because he's, he's got such a unique sound. Yeah. So unique. Um, but I remember, I think his first album came out in like 2009 or something like that. I remember I was a junior, uh, a junior in high school and just hearing some of these sounds that were on that first Indian album, Think Psychic Chasms, for the first time blew my mind. Um, yeah, I just said I have a lot of memories associated with Neon Indian. Yeah. Uh, and that album came out in 2011 and I just, like that was like my freshman year of college. I remember hearing that one just on, on repeat. Um, so that said, like I said, Neon Indian, that song was called um, Halogen. Uh, there's there's a little chunk in parentheses after it. I can't remember exactly what it is. Something about a shadow. Uh, but my favorite parts about that song is it's got it's got this like nostalgic sheen to it. I don't know if it's like the graininess to it or what, but there's a lot of texture that makes it sound older and not so pristine or, or clinical uh-huh. uh, that some newer mixing has. And to some, I think it might sound sloppy, but yeah. I like the slop. Um, I don't know why. Well, to me, I d- I mean, I described it as like fuzzy. Fuzzy. It's like fuzzy. And then like the, the synth lead in the background, like that kind of breaks it up a little bit where it's like, oh, you know, it's fuzzy, but at the same time, it's got like this nice little like twinkly vibe to it. I yeah. Don't know, I, There's I, enough I, of I a like clean it. lead that like yeah. gives it a uh, direction. And that's where I really kind of fall in love with that sound design. Like I was, I've been thinking about like, hey, what synthesizer that was made on or if it was like a sampler or what, but you know, the, the envelope of that particular sound, mm-hmm. whatever it is. I love it. Yeah. So anyway, it's catchy as hell. 
Yeah, thank you, man. Like I said, that was my song for the day. Riley, what did you bring us? So I've been into kind of the bluegrass realm okay. again lately. Like I, for whatever reason, bluegrass music was not something that I was into ever. Um, and then I watched uh, Tricky Dick and the Man in Black, which mm. is a movie about Richard Nixon and Johnny Cash. Okay. And so I've been getting more and more into into old country music, uh, and I found Sturgill Simpson. Sturgill Simpson is a phenomenal country and bluegrass artist who like kind of pays homage to like all the older guys um and the way that he like models his songs to talk about things that people don't talk about in that realm um are fantastic like so what? like like uh well the album that this is off of is called meta modern sounds and country music so he talks a lot about philosophy he talks about astronomy he's got a wonderful song called mercury in retrograde um it's like so dense like, he made an entire anime on Netflix called Sound and Fury, and it's Japanese, but it's an album that's put into, uh, like, this artistic Cartoon style. Story. Yeah, and it's very Tarantino-esque, like, people are getting shot left and right. And, and like, Sturgill Simpson made it? Yes. Or he, like, directed it or had some he, guiding well, hand? It's his album, and then these animators... Like, he worked closely with them. He's like, I was drunk in Japan, and I talked to a bunch of anime creators, and they were like, let's do this thing. So he made this fucking sweet movie yeah. where, like, this lady's a samurai, and she's, like, driving this old badass car through Japan, and she's, like, slicing through these these two villains. And it's What's it called? Sweet. It's called Sound and Fury. I got a lot of things. I got Farscape, Age of Resistance, Dark Crystal, and Sound and Fury. Sound and Fury. It's badass. Ass. Got a little list going today. Um, but Sturgill Simpson is—he's been on Joe Rogan before. He's just this—he's uh, a character, man. Like he uh, was in the Navy for a little while, then he had a huge heroin problem. So he kind of talks about that in this song a little bit. This song is mostly about just infinite regress um, and and drugs and how he kind of got saved by the psychedelic world. So. Mm. That's fascinating. It's fucking cool. It's, okay. it's like no other country song I've heard before. So this one's called Turtles All the Way Down by Sturgill Simpson. One of my favorite sayings of all time, too. What does that mean? Uh, so that is a perfect personification of infinite regress, where it's like you have this idea of, okay, well, somebody could argue that, well, everything begins with God, and God created this. Well, Turtles All the Way Down refers more to, well, our universe could be a on a turtle's back, 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 all the way down. It's mm. just an explanation of an infinite world. Mm. Um, but it, it goes to show how like small we are in this giant cosmological constant. Damn. So okay, is, I'm excited yeah. to check it out. This uh, is Turtles All the Way Down. Sweet. Let's check it out. Matter of modern sound and country music. I've seen Jesus play with flames in the lake of fire I was standing in Met the devil in Seattle Spent nine months inside the lion's den Met Booty yet another time Showed me a glowing light within But I swear that God was there Every time I go to the eyes of my best friend 
Okay, I definitely dug that one. I had no idea what to expect. You said country and bluegrass, and I don't really know the fine line between those. You know, it's like, what's the difference between, I guess, R and, yeah, I don't know. There's different genres that kind of bump into each other sometimes. It's yeah. hard to know what's bluegrass and what's country, and yeah. I like that. Like, that wasn't too country for me. That's one well, of the things like, I wrote down. It's not so country that it's, like, unlistenable. Right. It's very psychedelic. And he actually just awesome. put out a, a bluegrass <laughs> album that he did a bluegrass cover of that song. How old is that song? That song came out, and I want to say that album was 2016. Oh, uh, but he's that recent? Yeah, he just, yeah, he sounds like an old-style country musician. Dude, I thought it was from, like, 1968 or yeah, something like no, that. Yeah, no, no. And then uh, he actually just put out the bluegrass album, two of them, over quarantine. So, so how old is he? He's, uh... 30s mid 30s wow jeez yeah. dude listening to the voice and everything that's one of the things that caught me off guard is i wrote down the vocals and the bass like the mix is so clean yeah like it doesn't sound that part doesn't sound old yeah but his tonality and then the delays and phasers that they use for that psychedelic sort of charm that does sound old. Yeah. And there, that's a good mix of old and new to make something very original. It sounds very cool. And, like, his lyrical content is fantastic. I love when he says, when he's talking about reptile aliens. That that, that part caught my ears. Yeah. Like, there's not very many lyrics that, like, make my ears perk up. Uh -huh. That one did. And then when he starts to list off the psychedelics and how they kind of saved his life, yeah. that, that also uh, made my ears perk up in general. But I like the tonality of that song. I had no idea it was as recent. Yeah. as it is yeah um and yeah it just had a really good vibe i you have to 
bring some more of that stuff, broaden yeah. my horizons yeah, uh, he's, in that regard. He's a cool guy. Because yeah. that's one of those things. I I don't know if I would go out of my way to listen to him like in the car, but then if like you were like, hey, man, can I have the ox? I want to play a couple songs. Like, oh, fuck yeah, here you go. Yeah. Dude. Like, that sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but dang, okay, so that was Turtles All the Way Down by Sturgill Simpson. How'd you get into him? Uh, actually... Very close friend, Kale Brown. Okay, Kale Brown, yeah. buddy, we got to get out. you back on. <laughs> I need some help with some mixes, actually. Absolutely. Um, all right, well, you guys, that, uh, that almost puts us at uh, an hour and 45 minutes. This is Conjecture and Lecture. This is episode 12. We're excited to keep on bringing them to you guys. Uh, we'll have one next week, hopefully. I can't really imagine why not. Um, as far as the topic goes, kind of TBD. But if there's anything you guys want to hear, let us know. Get in touch with us on Facebook, Instagram, Gmail, all that good stuff. Or just you can find us at Conjecture and Lecture. Um, and in addition to that, you guys just try to, I don't know, I say I don't want to say I want more interaction. But feel free to, like like I said, comment on a post or or make a little post on uh, Facebook. Please share with friends and family. We love to for the podcast to keep growing. And, yeah, that's that's what we got for you guys. So Conjecture and Lecture. lecture excuse me. Wow. <laughs> Man, it would happen. The very last words I'm saying. <laughs> hey, I'd at trip least it's up. at the end. Anyways, thank you guys for listening, and we hope to uh, bring more conjecture and lecture to you soon. Take care. Take care now. Bye bye then. <laughs>